0: Um, They are incredibly high stakes for people, affecting even their, you know, most basic issues of identity. But, you know, coming at each other with this battle mentality is not getting anybody really what they want.
1: The evolution of our conversations has been more about the shifting landscape in which we're having them and that our goal has never been to solve an issue, to debate an issue, um, to have one of us come away with like having made the better point on this conversation. Uh, We have just been working stuff out together from the beginning. And I think we're still working stuff out together and what we're working out is different.
2: And so when we just stick women with babies that day, don't want right guess what earnings go down more women um you know dip into poverty and it just continues to you know snowball um into real issues that continue to hold women back so i think we are now at a point where there's a lot of education that needs to happen obviously there's a lot of discussions like this that i think need to continue to take place so that a lot of us and especially the younger generations understand these issues. We already see data that shows that young adults don't want to have kids. Um, Matter of fact, we we just published now um, a newsletter today that says, you know, having more kids um, shouldn't be a perk for the privilege.
0: The first thing we tell people is don't put so much pressure on one conversation. You're not gonna fix the relationship. You're not gonna fix the policy. You're not gonna fix American politics in one conversation. That this really is a long game of um, connection with the people in our lives and hopefully with people who we share a role with who maybe we will never meet, be it, you know, global citizen or American citizen or Kentucky state citizen, right?
2: This is Level Up, a Mother Honestly podcast powered by Indeed. The last two years have been about mothers taking a step back to support our families. As we navigate the post-pandemic future of women at work, we are back ready to level up personally and professionally. We host real and honest conversations with global leaders in parenting, business, work, and life Providing step by step solutions for your next level. I am your host, Blessing Adesion, founder and CEO of Mother Honestly, a chemical engineer, energy, supply chain, and operational excellence leader, and a mother of four. You will also hear from my friend and co host, Andrea Molan, founder and CEO of Victory Public Relations, and mother to two boys. We are here to level up with Indeed. Hi Andrea, did you pick up your son okay?
3: I did, they're both home from school now um, and it's not raining and it's not, like it's beautiful out there. They each had play dates.
2: We scrambled to get them play dates. (sighs)
3: So, you know, yeah,
2: Yeah, so So I I just posted something and I I think I should let you know uh, because I'm I'm worried. Well, i i somebody had tagged me on um on a comment that said you know motherhood is so hard it's a lot of work which we all know um i mean you had to leave your work to go pick up your kids and we had to reschedule this podcast and um i you know the person tagged me thinking yay you know blessing is the founder of mother honestly and of course motherhood should be on the resume like it's something that sh- it's work and i completely disagreed with it Um, because I don't think that motherhood should be added to the resume. I think that, um, you know, what we need to be talking about is the unpaid work that women and children, girls um, continue to shoulder. And of course we see that in motherhood and we are asking women to put motherhood on the resume when we know that motherhood is somewhat synonymous to unpaid work. And why are we trying to like, put put it in a ribbon and throw it as a recognition award um, to say, had it on the resume, like you've done great work. When what we really need to be doing is bringing equity into the homes, bringing equity into the workplace, and quite frankly, supporting women and having men do their fair share, having workplaces do their fair share so that motherhood no longer feels like work. It is actually just parenting with a yeah. with the support of the society. Yeah,
3: yeah. You know? 100%. And when you just brought this up to me, I could see how, you know, concerned you were because you don't want to upset anybody or you don't want to offend anybody. And frankly, some, you know, we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But I think it's such an important point because having a dis- disagreeing, having a different point of view, I think leads to the kind of productive discourse that we should embrace and welcome instead of putting up walls as though there is one right way to do or talk about any of these things. I think that there are, listen, I think that there are a lot of things that are done and I'm a publicist and I, you know, so this is my, I am paid to come up with campaigns to highlight issues and create the buzzwords that people can sink their teeth into and elevate issues through those sort of campaigns and buzzwords. I think that there's a lot of them surrounding motherhood, and they don't always capture the nuances. And sometimes, especially when they become very big, like putting the motherhood on the resume, they actually cloud dilute the conversation and turn it and pull us away from other issues that are also important.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people that say these things mean well, um, but in my my mind, right, if men are not adding fatherhood to the resume, then why should we? I mean, what we need to be talking about is fixing equity at home and not fixing women's resumes. Like, why? Why is it that women are always the ones that have to fix something? You know, we got to go, you know, fix this, fix that, and then now go fix the resume and you know, if you if you can just take another salt bath, and, um, and <laughs> yes. you, know, if you can just you know wake up early at five a.m. and get your work done before the kids wake up, and you know, there's just a lot of especially yeah. with everything going on. And we're going to talk about this in the podcast that we had with the pantsuit politics, with you know, ladies, which was really fun. With every goddamn thing going on right now, I am so sorry. Yep. I, really, I really do not want to curse, but with everything going on from Roe versus Wade, to the formula shortages, to, you know, just our rights completely being pulled up from underneath us, the rising mm-hmm. cost of child care in, in every single state, child care is up by 41%. And we're here um, telling women to keep doing more, like go, go, yeah. go, go, check your resume and make sure you add more to it because you're doing <laughs> too much. And I get it. We're too doing right. too much. But that's not the solution. The solution is not adding things to resume. The solution is demanding for solutions from from, from men and and, part, and our partners and our community and our society. That is the response that we should be yeah, getting. Totally.
3: And I think that the what I've read of the adding motherhood to the resume efforts that I appreciate is about not hiding or being ashamed of career breaks taken to accommodate motherhood and that i believe 100
2: oh absolutely but,
3: but putting motherhood on the resume doesn't solve that it puts us in a position where we have to justify the work that we've done potentially for in in order to accommodate the resume and so i while i do think that it's One piece of a productive conversation, I think that at the end of the day, we need to be willing to say, listen, I did take a step back from my career and I did, you know, focus on my family for whatever reason that decision was made. And I still belong in the workforce and have, you know, talents or skills to contribute meaningfully despite that gap in time. And that I don't think is a conversation that we're having as clearly. You know and another thing this is you brought up the conversation that we had with pantsuit politics which was one of my favorite because i do think that we don't know how to and we're afraid to kind of voice an opinion even if it's not completely divergent from the one that seems to be the most popular you know we still don't want to be the one person saying hey you know this doesn't sit really well with me and i have some questions about this and like let's have a more nuanced conversation than just a regurgitation of the talking points that you see everywhere and that's what i want us to do you know that's what i think i'm you know that's what i'm proud of this podcast doing and that's what i've always admired mother honestly for doing um you have very strong opinions blessing but you welcome you know feedback and you share the opposing views and even just sharing where you felt strongly about something. And then had a moment of like, well, you know, I don't want to be completely out of line from, mm-hmm. you know, you want to support the women who are doing this work and undertaking these great efforts. Yeah, something I mean, along it, those you know, same lines. Of the
2: things, all of this is in line, right. With our conversation with Sarah and Beth, because yep. they both um, prioritize curiosity over the conflict. Right. Um, yeah. Especially for, you know, political conversations, right? They are yep. both two different different parties, but they welcome the discourse because the only way we can move forward is by literally throwing everything down and then picking the most important pieces that will actually move our nation forward, right? Um, and I think it's the same thing when it comes to these discussions around gender equity, around motherhood, yep. workplace, or parenting, or even equity at home, It's that we need to be ready to have tough conversations. We need to be ready to abandon some of our, um, some of the way we've been nurtured, some of the things that we thought were, um, you know, was the right way um, for us to do things at work and at home in order for us to really solve the important issues. Because we can already see the repercussions of not doing that, right? We can already see women's rights being dialed backwards. We can already see yep. women's careers being decimated because of the childcare crisis, because women's labor are not valued. Childcare workers are like living in droves. So there's a lot of things that are happening because we have failed. And there was an article that came out, and it was by um, a wonderful lady. I, I can't remember her name now. And I actually just spoke to her today, and um, she wrote this article on the *Cot*, and it's about mom influencers. And this. You know, this idea that we are not having real and honest conversations enough. So there's a lot of TikTok rolling. There's a lot of reels happening out there that is geared more towards fluff. And so, you know, I think we need to start being intentional. And that's what I love about our conversation, Andrea, with Sarah and Beth, because it's time that we start really talking about what is going to move us forward, because the stakes are too high. The stakes are really too high.
3: It is. Yeah. And just to be very specific and very clear, I think that the stakes are also too high to be to censor your own curiosity and contributions to the conversation for fear that you will insult or offend, you know, I mean, then someone else. And that veers to me. It seems to me that that veers us into like a group think sort of situation, which is also I mean, that's very much what you want to avoid. So I have a question for you, Blessing. What are and what are what's a moment from the podcast coming up that sort of resonated with you? And is there anything that came up that made you think you know we could be doing this differently or better? This being the larger conversation about um, women's issues and politics.
2: Yeah, I mean we. So I mean I teared up um, when we were chatting with them about this. You know, this idea that um, it's okay for a woman's life, for a woman to, you know, um, sort of give up her own life, um, for her life to literally be on the table um, yep. because she, um, she's pregnant. Like, for that reason, you are now, you know, it's, your life doesn't matter. I mean, that's really what it is.
3: Yeah that was very that that was a reframing of that conversation the way that they put it was a reframing of that conversation for me that i hadn't previously thought of but of course i've experienced it and i really that was a really in um, impressionable moment for me as well. I also really appreciated what Sarah and Beth had to say about the way that we conduct political conversations. And they, the point, I can't recall which one of them made this point, but it was a really great one where no matter on both sides, people come to these conversations saying, you, you're, you're going to lead to the death of the people who are experiencing my situation or, and the same thing is said, on that, on the opposite end of the spectrum. And I think that that was a really interesting observation because we, there's so much at stake surrounding these conversations. I understand the, um, instinct to kind of have them couch them Mm -hmm. in that context, but you can't have a productive conversation when you disagree with someone, when you are, you know, when their view is that you, it's going to lead to people's actual, you know, demise that way. Do you remember that part of the conversation? I'm not doing yeah, it justice, I which do. is
2: good. I do. The- no, I, I'm yeah. like I almost want to be like, let's not give anything away and just dive in. It was, it was a great conversation. It's true. About, it was excellent. Uh, what's, you know, the state of the state of everything, everything right now for women, um, especially. You know some of some places where we all disagree and i think i want everyone to sort of go into this conversation with an open heart um and really um you know i think we need to be able to start separating um emotions um from a lot of these things and just look at the facts look at the science um and honestly quite frankly um just listening to other people's story um, because you yeah. know we can throw numbers out there all we want but I think that hearing a lot of variety of stories is really much more powerful. So let's dive in. I
3: agree. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Sarah Stewart-Holland and Beth Silvers. They're from the podcast Pantsuit Politics, and they've recently published a book called Now what, how to move forward when we're divided about basically everything. So fitting a topic for what's going on both in the past two years um, and specifically what we have going on today. So let's dive right into it. One of the things we're trying to do is advance the conversation around working motherhood through transparency and solutions driven conversations, which is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why your work resonates so much with us. To kick things off, can you share how you make the puzzle pieces of home and work fit together? Beth, let's start with you.
1: I think the most valuable tool I have in my arsenal right now is flexibility. And so uh, understanding that what I'm doing today doesn't have to be the same thing I do tomorrow. I spent a lot of years looking for the best system, the best methodology, the best tools. Uh, My daughters are 11 and 7, so their needs today are quite different than when they were little littles. My husband is, is traveling for work three of the four weeks of May. So what worked for me in April is not getting it done in May. And June will be even different when they're out of school. So I really try to say to myself, oh, I'm working really late at night this week. Uh, that's not going to be true every week. I have a meeting every Friday afternoon just with myself and my paper calendar. So I translate everything from my online calendars to my paper planner. And that's when I think through, okay, maybe I'm going to have to get started at 7 in the morning and fit some things in the cracks. Um, What is really important to me this week? How do I make sure that I get that in? What time do I want to say I'm going to call it for the day, even if everything isn't done? But just recognizing that week to week, it is okay to dramatically shift how and when I'm working to suit whatever's going on in our family.
3: Awesome. Beth, that's such great insight. Sarah, how about you? What makes it work for you?
0: Well, I have to be honest and say that I have an amazing village. If I talked about what worked for me without saying that my parents live up the street and my mom is retired and my stepdad is a real estate agent so it's a flexible schedule and I have a neighbor two doors down who we share carpool with and we have I have an amazing community of moms around me who pick up the pieces that I can't carry from time to time. I just feel like it wouldn't be an honest answer. It's like the people who don't admit they have a nanny and you're like, "How do you do all that?" Um you know, I also live <laughs> it's like little things, right? I live in a small town. We call it a 7-minute town. it Takes me about 7 minutes to get anywhere I want to go. And I remember one time a friend from New York city being like, I have more, I feel like you have more hours in the day. And I'm like, I do. I spend almost no time transporting myself. I don't pay to park. I don't search for parking. I don't like just small little things like that. Um, I think we forget how those play a role in putting those puzzle pieces together. It feels like it's all our individual choices, but there are so many things around us that predict how much time we have and how much flexibility we have. Um, and a huge piece of that for me is just the the Incredible community. I mean, my youngest was just diagnosed with type one diabetes, and literally last night, our children's minister at church learned how to give him shots, so that she can watch him. So we go to a, so we can go to a wedding on Saturday. Um, just that level of support is is life giving, truly.
2: Absolutely, um, Sarah. I mean, I'm excited. I think I think what what we're seeing, especially when it comes to women, um, modern women today, is we are all being transparent about how hard and um, or how easy, right? It, it is um, to whether it's be a parent or to work. Um, we talked about it, I think it was two or three podcast episodes ago about the actress that, you know, received um, our award, right? And then ta- she um, graciously thanked Anani for, um, for supporting her. <laughs> Isn't Amy Poehler, you know, I think um, about he, that all the time. She was very yes. open and honest about what it really took. And not only that, you know, I I have a friend who's, you know, whose child has um, type 1 diabetes. And, you know, we were talking about just how exhausting it is, it is for her to be a mom and also be a founder of a company. And now she's trying to open a startup. So there's just a lot of things happening for women and, and I think that we, we are starting to recognize it and it's exciting. Um, so, so Sarah, I mean, so it's really exciting, right? Um, to, to hear all of this transparency and uh, your podcast is exactly that. It's described as a place for real conversations that help us understand politics, democracy and the news while still treating each other like thoughtful human beings. So can you share a little bit about how that mission was born and how it's evolved since you started the podcast?
0: We started the podcast in 2015 because we wanted to have the type of political conversations we weren't seeing anywhere else. We knew this stuff was important. We knew even as exhausted moms, it mattered to us. I mean, we both had little babies um, when we started the podcast, our both both youngest children um, we're not even one years old yet. Um, Is that right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I do the math in my head. Um, And so, I mean, we were tired, but it it felt like things were shifting and changing and we had thoughts about it and we wanted to talk about it and we had anxiety about it. And so, you know, my husband had been, you got to start a podcast, just sort of arguably harassing me. You got to start a podcast. You'd be so good at it. You need to start a podcast. And Beth did some guest post on my mommy blog at the time where I would just roll up with politics in between, you know, reviews about strollers or whatever. Um, I didn't care. And so, cause mothers are complex people and we don't want to just talk about mothering all the time. Um, and so we did that. She did a couple posts. They were so well received. And I said, would you want to start a podcast with me? And she said, what's a podcast? And I said, don't worry, we'll figure that part out. And we just started having conversations. We had really good Um, conversational chemistry from the beginning. we have very complimentary personalities. Um, and so we really, I would say for the first two years, I mean, it really just was us sitting down exhausted at the end of the day, talking about the news that bothered us. Like that's really all it was. And other people just enjoyed listening to it and it made us feel better and less anxious and it made other people feel better and less anxious. And then it just continued to grow and grow and grow. certainly 2015 was a time
3: that, um, I remember as one that was very divisive, um, although different than what we're experiencing today, Beth, how is that, you know, how has the podcast sort of managed the expectations, but, you know, like starting from you guys that you have about how these conversations are conducted and is there, is, was there a measurable difference between the, um, contentiousness of those conversations back then, versus today. I also, my youngest son was born in 2015 and I very vividly remember sitting there, you know, exhausted, really not able to, my, you know, my ability to Mm -hmm. think clearly was definitely impacted. And I wondered if that was because I had a baby and a toddler and I was really just shot, um, or if there was something else to that. Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is that they're both, right? So I wonder how has the, yeah, go ahead.
1: I think that's right. Um, So my daughter Ellen was five months old when we started the podcast in November of 2015. I don't think the level of contentiousness has changed in our conversations because Sarah and I have, from the very beginning, been very careful with each other. We weren't close friends when we started the show. Uh, We had reconnected over Facebook after having gone to college together. We weren't close friends in college. So it was kind of meeting Sarah as an adult versus the college version of her that I had known meeting myself as an adult in the context of talking with someone from college. That's kind of a weird experience. Um, And I think it enabled us to gently walk through conversations, even when we knew we might have some disagreement about them. Our disagreement might have been more pronounced at the beginning because we were coming from, Sarah being a, a solid Democrat, I had voted Republican for most of my life at that point, um, and then came down from the escalator, Donald Trump, and the whole political landscape Um, Sometimes I say transformed. I don't know if it was a transformation or a revelation, Mm -hmm. probably both. Um, I think that I I learned a lot about the party that I had affiliated with and how my reasons for aligning with it didn't match what had really been going on. Um, I also think a lot shifted in terms of the dynamics of both parties as a result of the 2016 election and everything that has followed it. So I would say that the evolution of our conversations has been more about the shifting landscape in which we're having them and that our goal has never been to solve an issue, to debate an issue, um, to have one of us come away with like having made the better point on this conversation. Uh, We have just been working stuff out together from the beginning and I think we're still working stuff out together and what we're working out is different Uh, Because what needs to be worked out is different. I never could have imagined sitting in the floor of my closet after having put my newborn down, um, talking to Sarah, that almost seven years later, we would be discussing like the kind of supply chain disruptions that we have going on right now, a a land war in Europe, a pandemic. I never could have imagined uh, where this was going. And in some ways, it all feels very different, and it is. But it also is the same kind of anxiety that I think I was feeling in 2015 as we approached a presidential election where there wasn't an incumbent running and that energy of what's gonna happen, how much is gonna move, what's gonna be my place when these pieces move. Um, so I feel I feel very um, precious, I guess, about <laughs> the conversations that we've had because they've helped me so much over the past seven years. And while I understand that there's been a shift in them I think that our original intention, it, I still feel it.
3: As a new listener to the podcast, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and I found, I love what you just said. I love what you guys are doing on the podcast. Something that we're hopeful to do is help our listeners and working mothers in general level up. Um and I think that what you're discussing plays a really important role in that. We've heard a lot about how political conversations and disagreements can really actually tear families apart and are impossible to have with respect and productivity. Can you share any tools to ensure that we're able to conduct these conversations productively? And as you say, with grace, and maybe pulling on your experience together, um, you know, as people who sometimes disagree. And it seems to me, and in my experience, I would say what I witness and what I experience is that we have a very hard time disagreeing these days. Sarah, um, can you start with maybe some advice?
0: The first thing we tell people is don't put so much pressure on one conversation. You're not going to fix the relationship. You're not going to fix the policy. You're not going to fix American politics in one conversation. That this really is a long game of um, connection with the people in our lives and hopefully with people who we share a role with who maybe we will never meet, be it, you know, global citizen or American citizen or Kentucky state citizen. Right. Um, And when we lower the stakes, hopefully we can lower the competition, not because not, not the the contentiousness, not the competition, although I think competition is part of it, um, because that's what's that, that heightened environment where everybody has to make their point and everybody has to, you know, to sort of win the day, I think leads us to these spaces where we, we walk away feeling lonely and angry and silenced and attacked and again, it, it's not that we're not talking about high-stakes things. We are. You know, politics and policy affect every part of our lives. Um, they are incredibly high stakes for people, affecting even their, you know, most basic issues of identity. But, you know, coming at each other with this battle mentality is not getting anybody really what they want, policy-wise. Um, and so I think if we can realize that we don't have to, you know, walk away from every conversation with draft legislation and just start to listen to each other and have more curiosity and have more grace and you know, let our let ourselves be worked on by one another instead of going in ready to to win the day, right? To go in and and say maybe I'll learn something that I didn't know, maybe I'll shift a little bit in my thinking, not necessarily on your position, but even your thinking about that person even, maybe not even the policy, just that person. Oh, maybe I understand where they're coming from now. And it wasn't just, they don't care about anybody. I mean, if I could do anything in American politics, I would wave a magic wand so we stop acting like the other side. Like, once, either A wants to kill people or doesn't care if they die. It's like a common, we go right there in America. They Well, you don't care if we die. I mean, it's just, it's a very intense <laughs> way to, to talk about the things that matter. So I think that would, that would be a, a good first step, a good, Step along a journey in a different direction.
2: I love that. Uh, yeah, same here. Because I, I mean, when I, when I actually, so I, I immigrated to the U.S. Um, that was about twenty years ago. And when I actually first started, I thought I was a Republican, and then now I realize I'm a Democrat. And you know, there are a few things on either side, right, that I disagree with completely. Um, so I, I do, I do love how. Um, you know, we are, how, you know, you ladies have sort of found ways to um, come together and talk about real issues, right, versus, oh, this is, you know, this is for this party, or this is for that party, but more around, how do we actually solve real issues, and how do we talk about them in a respectful way? Um, so these are incredibly, incredibly every times for women, um, especially here, I'm going where we are focused um, on working mothers, we're focused on caregivers, if you, if you will. And the past two years, we've had a caregiving crisis. It's been impossible to work. Um, women, especially, are simultaneously juggling work and life, and it's um, incredibly um, crushing um, for a lot of us, as we've seen um, during the pandemic. Um, whether it's childcare, you know, paid leave, war, inflation, COVID nineteen, and now we. So the, the latest of everything, which is the leaked document of Roe versus Wade. And it's been a very challenging time to, yesterday I had a, I had a really bad headache because I was just like, everything is just becoming overwhelming um, to the point where it's physically manifesting in my body. And so our data tells us that women are feeling overwhelmed. Um, I am like your number one data point and and I'm getting desperate. So is there anything in the middle of all of this um, that helps or can help us find optimism Um, in the middle of this chaos, in the middle of this crisis and this war, inflation? Can you share with us what can we be hopeful for? I always feel hopeful because Mm -hmm.
1: I know that we're not going through this alone. And just knowing that we are in it together, helps me remember that people are both the problem and the solution, and it has always been so. The other thing that really helps me get through hard times is knowing that we're not really living anything new. People have been through this before. Great innovation has come from terrible moments like this. I think, Blessing, when you were talking about your enthusiasm for the transparency that women are sharing about their struggles, uh, that has come from the same situation that gives us all a headache every day, and that keeps us from sleeping, and that it makes and that makes us feel a sense of desperation, you know. Just this morning, I received a note. I attempted to hire someone this year to help me um, with childcare because I don't have local family. And my kids are getting to that age where they need to be driven lots of places. So my husband and I, even though we have a lot of flexibility, we just can't be everywhere at one time and and handle all the things that we have going. And you know she is unable to help me because she is in a caregiving crisis for aging parents. Um, And so you can see the ripple effects of our failure to have good Mm -hmm. infrastructure around care for everyone, even people with exceptional means um, because what we have our crisis not just of resources but of emotional stamina too um, and and of grief. So, It is easy to get stuck in how difficult things are but the long-term trends tell us that we are still living in probably the easiest period of human history um, the period with the most resources the period with the most tools to connect us even as those tools help us drive each other bananas um they they do bring us together for collaboration and great ideas and the ability to have conversations across continents and to really kind of embrace each other through this so i just I try to remember, uh, I keep a quote by my desk, uh, here is the world, beautiful and terrible things happen here. And I try to remember that there's a place for all of them and that they can all exist together. And um, I hope that, I hope my life can just be a net positive at the end of the day that I've contributed more than I've taken. And I see that sensibility in, in almost everyone around me. And that gives
2: me a lot of hope. I wanna pause here and talk about our partner indeed. The last few years have forced women to rethink the role that work plays in their lives. In fact, flexibility has become a major priority for women going back to work. As a mother of four, I understand how important it is to have flexibility in your job. As much as I'd love for things to always go according to plan, life with kids is unpredictable Indeed can help mamas like you find a company that is empathetic and understanding of your needs because it's not just about finding a place to work, it's about finding a job that works for you. With Indeed, you can find a job that has the flexibility to fit your life, not the other way around. Not to mention, with Indeed's Work Happiness Report, you can make sure a company scores well on the things that matters most to you like compensation, inclusion, and flexibility. Visit indeed.com slash to learn more about how Indeed is committed to helping women find better work. I love that. How about you, Sarah? What, what gives you hope? I mean, women always give me hope.
0: makes me emotional. I think even when we're all, you know, crushed, just crushed and feeling exhausted and feeling overwhelmed, we are reaching out to each other. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Can I help you with that? You know, this village that supports me also is carrying their own massive loads. I mean, my friends who step up have three kids the same age as me. um, And I try to do the same for them. And I think that that dynamic of like, even when we're really overwhelmed and really stripped bare, we're out there reaching out for each other. Can I help, can I do anything? Can I help you right now? Um, And that is just so encouraging and so life-giving. And I think the encouragement on the political level is that there are just more and more women in politics Repres- representation goes up every year. Um, even on, on not my side, <laughs> even though I don't like a lot of those women. I'm still kind of happy they're there. Um, because I just think, a, you know, a more, a diverse perspective. Um, I mean, we're going to have two women on the Supreme Court that have kids in school. I mean, that's incredible. That gives me enormous hope. Um, and so I think It's always women, women in positions of power, women around me that give me hope. Thank you for that, both of you. Um, Now,
3: the elephant in the room, which we touched on, is, of course, the leaked opinion from the Supreme Court that's on our minds, all of our minds right now. Um, I recently listened to your episode uh, of the podcast called Anticipating a Post-Roe USA, which I encourage all of our listeners to Um, take a listen to as well. I think that for me personally, I really appreciated the approach that you took to the discussion on the podcast that broke it down and talked about, and I mentioned this before, I don't know who said it, but someone said that, you know, you sort of took issue with the idea of a single issue voter as a, I believe, if I'm understanding correctly, as a very simplistic or reductive approach to all of the things that impact the success of our society. Um, which I really, truly resonated with me, and I wondered if you can help us talk about, put some a framework around this news in a way that sort of gives it to us straight. Um, we can all take it on the chin, as they say. You know, like what's the ugly truth about it, and what we might reasonably expect to happen, how we can have these conversations amongst one another, and then what can we do to help continue the upward trajectory of these conversations, even if, you know, the worst happens, which I know we are all praying is not the case. Um, So Beth, maybe we can start with you. I'll simplify a little bit. What does, what does the opinion mean? Like how scared should we be right now? What exactly is happening?
1: It's hard to know. I still have so many questions about what's going on at the court. As we're recording, the court is meeting today for the first time since this opinion leaked, and I would give almost anything to be in the room listening to that conversation. My understanding from Politico's reporting, which has given us some really um, unique insight into the court's navigation of this issue is that right now, Justice Alito's opinion, which is the one that leaked, is the only opinion floating around in the court. The dissents have not yet been circulated. Concurrences have not yet been circulated. And that matters because even if we are pretty sure, and I am, that there is a five justice majority that will vote to overrule Roe versus Wade. I think that's going to happen. I think Mississippi's very draconian restrictions are going to be upheld and the court will explicitly overturn Roe versus Wade, uh, which will mean that state laws will take effect surrounding abortion. But even if we have five justices on that page, Justice Alito's opinion, I think is unlikely to have five justices signed on to all parts of it. Because it is a very uh, snarky, (laughs) um, reductive, aggressive view of the world that I do not believe even the most conservative colleagues of Justice Alito are going to want to be associated with. And if you read a lot of Supreme Court decisions, you'll see that they are broken down um, in sort of Roman numerals and letters and justices will agree with Section 2A, but not with 3B, and and it will matter in this case, especially as we think about what other rights are impacted by this opinion, uh, how how the justices go around the whole framework. So I would say I don't read Justice Alito's opinion knowing everything we know now and think immediately like the US is gonna be in The Handmaid's Tale again. I do not go to that place reading this. I do think that returning this issue to the states, which I think is kind of a misleading framing, the states already have tons of ability to regulate abortions. That's why it's nearly impossible to get an abortion in some states, even with Roe versus Wade as our framework. But having states with the ability to criminalize abortion in all circumstances, um, to, to write a host of laws that will make it nearly impossible to operate a clinic, um, I think it is gonna have a very detrimental effect on women. And I think it is going to catalyze women Electorally, in a way that maybe we haven't seen since Clarence Thomas was confirmed to the Supreme Court, um, and probably beyond that. And what the effects of that will be, I don't know. Um, so I, I would say I am, I am worried and I am upset, and I do not think that Justice Alito's opinion represents the entirety of the story. And I don't know when we'll get the rest of the story. And I think that whatever you think about the leak. Uh, It is significant in that here we sit with only a piece of the story. And that's that's tough. Sarah, how about you?
0: Let me take a uh, this is why we're complementary personalities. Let me take a different sort of view. Let me just talk about outside of the Supreme Court, the pragmatic reality that I agree with Beth Roe v. Wade will be overturned. Um. I don't know if everybody, particularly, you know, working mothers, raising kids, busy, thinking I'm not in the in that part of my life anymore, how much is this really going to affect me, have really come to Jesus with how much this could affect um, women's health care. You know, uh, in between my second and third sons, I lost a pregnancy at 20 weeks. And I was able to get a D&E, which is an abortion procedure. That's the procedure. They have a D&C and they have a D&E. The further along in pregnancy, the more likely you are to need a DNA, which is how I was far enough along. Um, the, I think it was the, I don't know if it was the obstetric I don't think it was the American Academy of Obstetrics and Gynecology, but I think it was a obstetrics um, study or organization just put out that they are concerned that under some of the language of states, which is that it's like this whole spectrum, some of this language is incredibly draconian, that medical schools would not be able to train residents in these procedures because they would be considered abortion procedures, which means if you have a miscarriage like I did and you need this medical procedure because some state legislator who has no medical expertise or experience with this um, defined the language in a certain way, you won't be able to get that procedure. That procedure, you know, it didn't just save my life. It prevented me from having to go through a complete, an incredibly traumatic experience, which would be giving birth to a baby that I know had died. And I'm thankful for that procedure every day. And I was right on the line. Luckily, there was a doctor in my community who does it a little bit later than some of the other doctors. But if I had been forced to be, Conscious and have to give birth during that. I can't fathom how terrible that would have been. And I'm so thankful every day I was protected from that experience. But there are women that won't be. If this, when this goes through. That miscarriage care. They're talking about infertility treatments that will no longer be available. Because what do they do with the, you know, additional eggs and fertilized eggs from IVF, right? Like, I just think that we have not really internalized, like, the wide-ranging effects. And I don't know if we, I mean women. I think women get how complicated women's health and reproductive care is. But I don't think these state legislators, and I sure as hell don't think Samuel Alito has. And so I think that it will radicalize some women. There there are going to be women who will die. Because of this. And I think it's going to be so hard and so heartbreaking. And I, I don't know if we've really, like, sort of fully, I know we haven't. I mean, we can't. We can't know until we're living it. And I will say, you know, on our show, we talked a lot about that the opposite is also true. We don't, there will be good things that happen because of this, too. You know, Roe v. Wade has always been precarious. The rights assured under that Supreme Court law has have always been precarious. You know, it's like Beth said, there are states right now in the United States where it would be incredibly difficult to get an abortion. And that has been true since that that decision was decided. And so we also can't predict the positive outcomes, right, that that this could lead to a more stable, dependable foundation upon which women's health and women's reproductive rights rest. We just don't know yet. Um, and I think that's that's the hardest part.
3: Thank you both for sharing your perspectives. And one thing that I can't help but think about as I listened to, you know, your story, Sarah, which is heartbreaking. And I think relatively, you know, common. We all know someone who's gone through a terrible experience on their way to motherhood. Um, I feel like some of the conversations and maybe one of the traps we fall into is viewing abortion through the lens of what mm-hmm. specifically has been my experience. Um, you know, and I do think that if we can, and this is a point that you've made that um, you know, I really appreciated in the podcast that I referenced, is this idea that, you know, if you mm-hmm. can understand that other people have different experiences and different priorities and come to a common place where, you know, I, I don't think any one of us wants to be in a position where we need or desire an abortion. But that is the reality and that's a decision that you know i hope women are able to have with a trusted medical Mm -hmm. um you know confidant as opposed to in this scenario where we have to put the um you know i guess emotions whims whatever of people who really have no place in that conversation
0: well and they just get filled backed into a corner I mean, I was reading an article about te- in Texas where the abortion providers left in Texas were saying like, we think women are having abortions they might not have because they feel up against a deadline and they feel up against a wall. And so they're like, I don't want to risk that this would be the wrong choice. And then now you're really like putting people in a, de- in a place where they might regret the decision because you've given them two and a half hot minutes to make it. Um, And I just think like, you know, people don't, think about that nobody in texas was thinking oh well if we don't give them time to decide maybe they'll have abortions earlier and earlier that they might not have had overall because you can't include all the complexities of this decision in a bill you just can't i mean and that's why they you know this should be up to individuals and not to governments because do you want to be the one do you want to be the one making the call if the child is young enough if it was really rape do you really want to be making that call Do you really want your state representative making that call, making that decision? Who wants to be on that jury panel when they're criminalized? Was that worth it? Did she do the right thing? I mean, come on. Come on.
1: Uh, I think that's one of the things that has been really damaging about Roe. Having that out as um, Supreme Court precedent that Mm -hmm. sort of decides the issue has enabled for decades now for people to take a really extreme position about abortion because there was no risk in holding a really extreme opinion about abortion. It was easy to say, I'm pro-life in every circumstance right? because you knew that that wasn't available. There there was a backstop. Um, and so once it became politically viable, after 50 years of, of preaching that we're pro-life in every circumstance, We're going to see people introducing bills that match that rhetoric. And I don't think that anyone, I mean, Sarah was just saying, you know, they haven't thought through this. I don't think that they've thought through any of it, right? It is just, um, these are bills being proposed in reaction to 50 years of language that no one thought could actually go anywhere. And um, it's going to get harder, I think, before it gets easier.
0: Well, and here's the thing, too. I do think some people have thought through it. We had a woman on our podcast named Tamara Twill. She was in a very similar situation to mine. She had a wanted pregnancy and the baby was not compatible to life. The difference was her fetus still had a heartbeat and mine didn't. And so she had to go through all these hoops. She had to sit through them, tell her to consider adoption when it was a baby she wanted that was not compatible with life. And she went to the Ohio legislator. And she told her story and they knew her complexity. And I will never as long as I live remember her saying, I think they felt sorry for me, but I was a sacrifice they were willing to make. And I think that's like that's the hard truth that mothers are going to learn, that some people are just willing to sacrifice us. There are people who don't want to include the life of the mother because they believe a mother should sacrifice her life for the child she is carrying. Every time, no exception. They have through thought that complexity and that's what they believe is the answer every time. And that is not something mothers want to hear right now when we're already burdened, but it is the reality for a lot of people in power out there.
2: Absolutely, Sarah. I think you know this. Uh, I love that we're having this this episode because I actually struggled with you know this conversation and um, in, and in going into it. But I think you know I think we are at a point where we need to we need to understand that we can't. Uh, we can't be a nation that is either pro-life or pro-choice. We can be both. We can absolutely be both. And I think that we have enough information, we have enough data, we have enough um, science to understand that we can actually be both. And I think that that reality is what people, a lot of people that are unfortunately in positions of power um, do not want to come to terms with. They don't want to accept that we can actually be both um, because it's exactly the same thing we're hearing from moms and women in our community who are saying this isn't just about abortion even. This is about just total control of how a woman lives a life because it doesn't stop there. We know that you know the only reason why women um, do not advance in the workplace is because of children. The only reason the wage gap exists is because of the maternal bias. And so when we just stick women with babies that they don't want, right, guess what? Earnings go down, more women um, you know, dip into poverty, and it just continues to you know, snowball um, into real issues that continue to hold women back. So I think we are now at a point where there's a lot of education that needs to happen, obviously, There's a lot of discussions like this that I think need to continue to take place so that a lot of us, and especially the younger generations, understand these issues. We already see data that shows that young adults don't want to have kids. Uh, Matter of fact, we we just published now um, a newsletter today that says, you know, having more kids um, shouldn't be a perk for the privilege because Mm -hmm. we know what's going to happen, you know, affluent moms like myself like andrea and the rest of us you know we can still get an abortion if we want because guess what i'm gonna hop on a plane and go to you know london lagos nigeria wherever and i'm gonna get an abortion because you know you're not gonna stop me but who are we gonna stop low income Mm -hmm. low wage people and these are the people that will continue to sink into poverty so thank you i just want to say that i appreciate you both being um super honest super real with us um and i mean i'm just grateful thank you thank you
3: i echo blessing sentiments um truly and i think that i hope well i should say i hope that we're able to continue along um and be an example i know you guys are an example of how we can have these conversations in a way that respects the emotion behind them because it is scary. And to Mm -hmm. Blessing's point, um, you know, not only are we the ones who will have access to abortions if we are in the position where we seek one, but we also have the freedom of, you know, the flexibility of our lifestyle that Mm -hmm. affords us to make that decision based on what's best for us. Um, So it is, I think, about advocating for women who don't have access to those kind of uh privileges and i hope that these conversations are helpful to move us forward in a productive graceful way so thank you for that this is why we're doing this Um, as we something else that we have in common i've as i've listened to your podcast you guys um often end on a lighter note So we're hopeful to do that with you guys here today, because in the midst of all of the very heavy things that we're contending with, there is joy and friendship and camaraderie in the world. And so we'd love to ask some of your, um, you know we'd love to go into our lightning round and we'll ask each of you a few quick questions that um, you can weigh on that aren't as um, life altering, we'll say, (laughs) as the conversation so far. So Beth, we'll start with you. Remote, hybrid, or office work? What do you love?
1: Uh, I think hybrid has been my favorite of the, of the situations. I'm all remote now. I do occasionally miss a little bit of the office life. So hybrid I think is, is ideal.
3: Sarah, how about for you?
0: Oh, I'm an only child. Remote works really well for me. I like to be in control of my environment. Awesome. Beth? best
3: productivity tool you've discovered
0: i
1: use an app called things to organize my email Um, so i used to treat my inbox kind of like a filing cabinet and i found things and it can be the filing cabinet it works exactly like a filing cabinet and helps me uh, organize in a folder structure that is a lot more flexible than what comes in most email clients Uh, and it gets it out of my inbox and it just it's been a really great um addition to the way that I manage digital information.
3: Thanks. Okay. I'm going to look that up. Sarah, how about for you?
0: I love an app called Cladwell because I do believe deciding what to wear uses so much of our decision muscles and I need to save those. So I plan out my whole week's wardrobe on this app called Cladwell. You put in everything you own, your whole closet. Now it's a little investment up front to put in all those clothes. Um, but then they like, it's like clueless. They like put That's together awesome. outfits and you're like, yeah, that works. I'll wear that. And they put the weather at the top. So you can decide like, Ooh, is that what I want to wear that when it's 90 degrees? Um, I love it so much. I've been using it probably for two or three years. Um, and it makes getting dressed so much easier. And I don't always do it like today. I forgot I had an event tonight, so I changed it to a different dress, but, um, I lo- I'll just change it in the app because it all, then it also at the end of the year, like shows you what did you actually wear? Like, what in your closet? What were the clothes you actually wore? I love it. I love it. Awesome.
3: Beth, podcast, audiobooks, or hardcover? And I'm sure that's like choosing a favorite child
0: for you guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, podcasts for sure that, that's where I spend most of my time um, I feel like
0: that shouldn't be in the category it should be like hardcover <laughs> yes. or audiobooks because books yeah. and podcasts are different
1: yeah we between, have gone
0: back and forth on that for sure
1: between those two I would say hardcover audiobooks make me feel sleepy okay.
0: so <laughs> Sarah yeah I agree it's it's sort of random when an audiobook will really work for me there's a couple books that I can't read in a paperback or hardcover because they make me so sleepy but I can listen to them um I also find classics like especially Jane Austen when you can hear the inflection of the narrators and like you get the British humor a little bit better but I do love a I love a actual paper book a lot
3: awesome um what have you read watched or listened to lately that you cannot stop talking or thinking about excuse me
1: Uh, My husband and I are big Survivor fans, so we are very into the Survivor season right now. I don't know how it's still good. They've been doing this a long time. You'd think it would be super tired, um, but I just think that they do a really nice job of choosing interesting people and interesting combinations of people and putting them in interesting situations. I learned something about politics every time I watch an episode of Survivor because seeing people deciding like what's part of the game, what's fair here, what's what's not fair, what's real life, what affects these relationships, how do I think about these relationships? It's just, I just think it's brilliant. I could talk about it all day.
3: I love that you brought that up because one of my most formative experiences is that when I was a high school student in Long Island, on Long Island, you know, in New York, I had a driver's ed teacher who was actively trying out for the first season of Survivor. And we would drive around in the car and he would tell us, and it, you know, it felt like we were part of it. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. And I was like, this is going nowhere. This guy is such, <laughs> in my teenage, you know, I'm like, this guy is such a That's loser. Hilarious. And Lo and behold, 150 years later, here we are. (laughs) Did he make it? I don't have any idea. Oh, (laughs) Oh, no. Sarah, (laughs) how about you?
0: Well, as I mentioned, my son is recently diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So the truth is, that is what is consuming a massive amount of my brain. And in a pitch to podcasts and the power of podcasting there is a podcast called the juice box podcast, because if your child's blood sugar dips, a lot of people use juice, they keep juice boxes. So that's a, it's a clever name. Um, And this guy is just a diabetes ninja. He's been managing his daughter's diabetes since she was four years old. She's 14 now. Um, And they have a Facebook group and he just is such a gift when you're like newly diagnosed. Now it can be overwhelming at first because he is a diabetes ninja and you're like, what's a bolus? What are you talking about? But um, you know, I think that when you're newly diagnosed, a lot of, as a especially if you're the parent of a child, like it's a lot of just don't kill them. And my husband and I are both attorneys and we like a lot of information. So the the Diabetes for Dummies Don't Kill Them was just not doing it for us. And this podcast um, and this man and like the whole community on Facebook has been so incredible and so helpful in helping us like navigate this new world. And my husband start, has started calling him my boyfriend. So I'll be like, well, Scott says. And he's like, what, (laughs) Scott, who? And I'm like, from Juicebox. Um, And so it's just, again, it's such a gift. You know, I think we beat up on the internet so often, but in a situation like this, it's such an incredible gift.
3: Absolutely. Um, Where can everyone follow you guys? We'll include the um, information for the podcast, information for your books, but where can they follow you specifically?
0: Well, you can follow, you know, you can find our podcast where you find podcasts and our books where you find books. Um, our two main social media channels are definitely Instagram, Pansy Politics, and Twitter and Pansy Politic. Um, but you can go to Pansy Politics show. Beth calls up the front door of our whole world, so you can go there and find out anything you want to know about us.
2: Thank, Thank, you. Thank you guys so much..
0: Thank all. you.
1: Thank you for having us.
2: Thank you for listening to the Mother Honestly podcast, a production of the Motor City Woman. Before you go, the Mother Honestly membership is open. We offer programs and toolkits that support you on the home front and work front. Corporate memberships are also available for employers looking to provide real solutions to employees at home and at work. Our Mother Honestly team are Robin Kinney, Audrey goodson Kingo, Christine All, Oluchi Obonaya, phone be show and more follow us on social media at mother honestly and remember to subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify google play or wherever you listen to your favorite shows your reviews are important to us leave us a review and share with a friend come back next week as we level up with indeed